Hello and welcome to another episode of Podcast. Today we're talking about 90s music. The best music ever <laughs> since the dawn of humanity. Number two would be 80s pop. <laughs> but that's my opinion. This is Jordan along here with Brother Brandon. Hello. And best friend Ryan. Hello everybody. So how are you guys doing this evening? A little nervous. Music is not my forte. Not I probably, mine? I probably know it as much as underwater basket weaving. This They're, is not my forte either. I was <laughs> I, I was afraid I wasn't going to have enough to talk about. but I think, okay. I, I, I think I filled out with what I needed to, hopefully. And I don't know. I, in my, on my screen, it, it looks like an hour's worth of of content but it's probably going to equal to about five minutes <laughs> as writing normally does and i myself uh am not uh, the guru of music but i do know Shit. quite a bit um i've always have done an argument with uh with birth brother brain the past couple of years that i feel that music is actually more inspirational and influential than movies are with people because well, a movie I mean, that's that's a given though music has been around since the dawn of humanity well, absolutely movies well, didn't come around till late 1800s sure but the reason why i say that is with the movie like, yeah you can have two two and a half maybe three hours to to actually like you know captivate an audience or get an emotion out of them or something right with music a traditional song is three four minutes you have three four minutes seconds unless you're tool then you just stretch it on to fucking three hours yeah but also within you know you know within the first couple of bars of, of sober you've got a mood you got a feel you know what I mean music uh, hell Columbine students they were listening to Marilyn Manson when they were shooting everybody that goddamn Manson so He's, I he mean is the sole reason why we're in this position today I'm gonna say ICP, but okay, <laughs> okay. You know, it's just, it's just, I'm not condoning the Columbine guy. I'm just saying, like, music, it's just, it's, you can, it's, it's just, in my opinion, uh, not more important than movies, but I think it definitely has. Uh, the it's more notch affecting. There. It's more, um, you can emotionally relate to it faster. Yeah, the yeah. first word in a song can affect you, where a movie takes a while. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's why music, music's always been a big thing for me. I mean, brother brands know that since we were kids, and. Uh, Best friend Ryan, have you always known I loved music as much as I do not? No. Nope, nope. I did not. I did not figure this. I did not know this until recently. We when we were gearing up for our uh, top five songs episode. Oh, and yeah. I just blew you out of the water. Huh? You were just rattling dates and stuff off like it was nothing. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of, kind of OCD or autism. Right? I wouldn't say you're autistic. Uh, that's... No, I'm just saying I'm autistic, but isn't that one of the uh, traits of autism? Is that I mean, like they know because there's a guy at work, he's amazing. Um, I'm not gonna say his real name, but let's just say his name's Jeff. And guy's 35 years old. I worked with him one day, and it's relevant for the show. And and he's autistic. He can quote and play every character, every line perfectly from *Dust Till Dawn*. <laughs> I had this friend in nice. college. Good movie um, choice, at least. Yeah. I had this friend in college. Her sister was on the spectrum, and she told me uh, that her sister could uh, recite in order every line of dialogue from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. That's intense. And I didn't believe her. And then I went. I did. A, I interviewed my friend for a school project, and then so I met her sister. And I didn't do it, but her sister got her to start doing the lines and she went on for 20 minutes 
Wow. For the first 20 minutes of Fellowship. I don't know if I have, I don't know what the first 20 minutes of dialogue is in that movie, but like she went it on just, like just it, talking, yeah. just for nonstop. Yeah. No breaks, no nothing. There's only one movie I can do that with. Almost. I'm still learning. I'm, I'd say out of 100%, I'm at 93. That's Creepshow. I, I actually there. believe that. I actually believe that. No, it's just it's fascinating because there I am at work logging boxes, and here's Jeff uh, telling me the opening uh, heist scene in the carryout. And it's like I'm picturing the scene, yeah. and he's doing different voices, and his body language changes to match the characters, and it's like, <laughs> wow, this motherfucker. He does it for, and he loves Pixar movies, not Disney. Can't be Disney, but it's Pixar. He can tell you everything for Toy Story and all that shit. But the reason why I bring that up is because I guess that's kind of my thing is, I mean, I can tell you dates and times when it comes to music. So. There's this really good movie. came out in 1982 called Diner. I don't know if you guys have ever seen or ever heard of it. Barry Levinson's first movie. Sound, I, I can see the poster. It's a very good movie. I really enjoy it. But there's a character played by Daniel Stern, and his his big like character trait um, is that he's kind of an asshole, and he knows every uh, record A side and B side you can name. Nice. Yeah. There's uh they uh there's a podcast called '80s All Over, uh where they're going through because these guys were born in uh, born in the '70s and got to see pretty much all the movies that came out in the '80s and they're going through month by month of each year of all the movies that came out. And when eight, 1982, they're in they're almost at the end of '82 now and they talked about Diner, so that's where it's like familiar. It's a good movie. You guys hmm. should watch it. Diner. Nice. So yeah, 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 tonight is all about music. So what we did it was, was we weren't going to confuse everybody. So we're going to make it very simple. We are going to break it up in different genres of music. And each uh, host here has their own genre. Uh, Best Friend Ryan's going to talk about 90s country. Yes. And uh, and uh, Brother Brand's going to talk about grunge slash kind of sort of alt-rock, also Bush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, mostly just technically Bush. That's... President Bush? Or, oh. or, or the female genitalia. All of the above. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm going to talk about a band and also slash an album as well, and that's going to be Korn's Follow the Leader, which was very important, which we'll talk about later as we go along. So who wants to go first? Do you want to go grunge, you want to go corn, or do you want to go country? Who do you want to start with? I'm going to start with grunge. I think grunge was the, the first important movement of the 90s, so yeah. I think we'll go start there. All right, so let's talk about grunge slash bush. Yeah, um, I think, like I said, I'm, I'm not familiar with music and how I, I'm such a movie fan. I'm such in love with movies that how I got into music was through movie soundtracks. And mm-hmm. 90s, there were no, there was no decade better than movie soundtracks than the 90s. That is a true fact right there. <laughs> 90, 90s movie soundtracks were the shit. And in some cases, almost better than the fucking movie. I will, I will H2O. challenge, I will challenge you. Okay. That nobody will ever prove you wrong in that statement. Ninety <laughs> soundtracks where I had a shit ton. Yes. Uh, just because I was like, you know, for Scream, for Halloween H two O. Did you ever get Scream two? Scream two soundtrack? I don't think so. The opening song is Master P, and the song is called Scream. <laughs> of course. Cotton Mouth Kings are on that album. But anyway, continue. Um. But I, I, I think it, it was through you, yeah. actually, that grunge was introduced, mm-hmm. and that was, by, of course, by Nirvana. Yep. Uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, yep. of course, is, is probably the crucial song to get introduced to anybody. Mm-hmm. However, as I got a little older, there was a movie 
that introduced me to Bush. Yes, the same movie that introduced me to Bush, too. Do you know what it is? Oh, yeah. Go ahead and say oh, it. Oh, America War from Paris. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. The Mouth, Mouth. is the uh, title of the song. And this is from their album, Razorblade Suitcase. Oh, is that why there's a, a werewolf in the music video? Yes. Okay. That but, is all from, with Julie, uh... Julia Binoche. Not Julia Binoche, uh, sorry, De- Julie Depley. Depley, yes. But the, the version Julie. that he is talking about, that's not the real version. The version on the album is completely different. The version for the movie that he's talking about, that we knew that's on the soundtrack, is a remix. Ah. Because mm-hmm. the actual song, Mouth, is a slow, not a not not an acoustic song, but it's a slow song, no techno kind of beat like what we knew with uh, America. However, the music video uh, is the stand, is the, the original releasing of Mouth. Yeah. Yeah, but it's just got images from mm-hmm. American World from Paris. Yep. So when I when I heard that song, I was like, "What is this?" And I had to go search out for Bush. And what's funny with Bush is as as I went through, especially you know late middle school and high school years, I got made fun of because everyone was Nirvana, 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 and they're great. They're they're an established. I understand why Nirvana needs to be placed in the pinnacle of history. Bush, for some reason, always just attracted me more. And again, there was two more songs of theirs that appeared in another movie, nineteen ninety six Sphere, mm-hmm. with Mark Wahlberg and Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> Open up the fucking door! Sorry. Now I pop both your cherries, Mister Walker. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, those those two songs are Come Down mm-hmm. and Machine Head, and that's from uh, the, pretty much their first big album, Sixteen Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's, there's something about. I didn't really uh, never expand other than maybe Pearl Jam's grunge, right? Yeah. Oh God, yeah. Oh yeah. It was either it was either Pearl Jam or Nirvana. It was McDonald's or Wendy's. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. it was either or. I was actually a Pearl Jam guy, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. See, there's a lot of Pearl Jam I like too, and I I have to thank. I mean, first and foremost, I have to thank Nirvana for at least introducing me, but I thank Bush for not only making me a fan, but then making me explore and venture out further. Sure. Um, however, it, it is it's it does sad me a little bit that even now to this day, Bush is still considered the poor man's Nirvana. Yeah. And I'm wondering because they are an England band, they're a UK band, and I'm almost wondering that if maybe they would have started here. Here's the rock and the hard place for them actually. UK, uh, the UK Fever didn't start up again until Spice Girls in the late '90s. 1998. But by then, the late 90s, grunge was kind of fading away. So if Bush, like, it's interesting to think that if Bush maybe started at the same time as Spice Girls, where the UK fear was hot again, would they still be as prevalent? If they were if they were more new metal, yeah. What was their, when did their first album come out in America? Do you know? 94, with 94. 16 Stone. Well, yeah, Korn's first album came out in 94. Nirvana's last album came out in 94. Pearl Jam's second album Versus came out in '94, so I mean it, it came out this it came out the good time. Right, and I just I think because ooh, ooh. sorry <laughs> that came out <laughs> of me. Maybe uh, because they came late to the game. Because I mean, because yeah. what Nevermind is Nirvana's big album. The first, yeah. What's well, technically their second album? But it's like yeah, their so big one. That's their one. 1991 album. Yeah, yeah and with that's, the baby on it. And I think grunge probably blew up before yeah. this, so they kind of just came late to the game with their sound. And then I mean exactly. And I, another thing, too, that kind of hurt Bush is that the persona that Nirvana displayed to the public. Nirvana, they never, you know, Kurt Cobain was totally against commercialism. 
Whereas Bush, they were all for it, as hence American War from Paris. <laughs> and like, you know, their two song their two big songs in Sixteen's Dome being in the movie Fear. Bush didn't care. They're like, Yeah, we're all for commercialism. And I think that's what hurt them as well, is where Nirvana already set the staple for grunge being like, No, it's going against the system, it's going against the music industry. And where you got Bush, who not only almost sounds like Nirvana, they're completely the one eighty to Nirvana. And people, I think fans at the time, just thought of that as like, ew, get away. He's right on that because because there's a bunch of bands in the in the in the early '90s uh, that did do that all. Uh, some would be uh, Faith No More, uh, which their hit song was Epic. You guys, sure you guys, you guys know what did you hear? It. Probably, I, I yeah, know the yeah. band name. This so probably... is it. anyway. But you got Faith No More. They never did any publicity. They never did commercialism. Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers actually never did any commercialism. Uh, back in the early nineties, when they came out with, uh, with well, late nineties with Californication, um, and then you say the same thing. Well, and then and then their album yeah, uh, nineteen ninety one, which was Blood, Sex, Sugar, Magic, which had Under the Bridge and uh, Give It Away Now. Uh, but then you also had Smashing Pumpkins on there. You had Pearl Jam. You had Nirvana. Um, was Smashing Pumpkins grunge? Oh fuck yeah! Oh okay. Oh yeah, that was that was. So there's the thing with uh, there's the thing with grunge fans with Smashing Pumpkins. Smashing Pumpkins were cool before Billy Cogan shaved his head, <laughs> and then once he shaved his head, he was a douchebag. Okay. How dare he? Well, no, it's because it's because it's because the first Smashing Pumpkins album, which is, I believe is Siamese Dream, um, he did it all himself. He did all the instruments himself, and he sang it. And eventually, he got his band together to perform live. Yeah. Well, and then there's and then their second or third album, Melancholy. Where he had the song "Tonight Tonight" on it, mm-hmm. he shaved his head and he was like, "Ooh, 1979." I think, yeah. I, I think 1979 is the only Smashing Pumpkin song I've listened to. You need to check out "Disarm." The song "Disarm." Disarm. Okay. Yeah, uh, and that's from uh, Siamese uh, Dream. But anyway, Bush. Yeah, I mean it's there, and I think that's when, in part two, uh, where Sixteen Stone was more of their. It was looked at, even though it made. Five, over five million, uh, it sold over five million albums. Uh, it's what introduced them. It, it became almost a household name in America. But at the same time, they were looked at as um, kind of like two sellouts, a little bit. Uh, I guess a little bit, especially with Come Down. It was very. Uh, oh yeah. Come I'd down. say. How do, how's best to explain this? They were Nickelback before Nickelback. I guess you could kind of say that. Yeah. Because I mean that's why I never liked Bush. Besides Mouth. Every other song is just like Nickelback. It's, it's it sounds the same. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. Uh, he doesn't really change <laughs> his vocal range much anymore. The guitar riffs pretty much all sound the same. The bass lines hardly even there, and the drums well, are all the same. That's where it changes in their next album, Razorblade Suitcase. Okay. That's when they started getting pretty dark. As with their uh, their two biggest mouth is on Razorblade Suitcase, and then along with their two biggest uh, singles, uh, Greedy Fly and mm-hmm. Swallowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the music video for Greedy Fly. Mm-hmm. That's that was one of the first things I can remember because <laughs> I had to catch the bus at six forty-five in the morning, so I had MTV's music videos in the morning. Sure, back when they played music videos, right? Yeah. And, you know when they were worth a damn. Yeah, they're not now. Uh, but I can remember Greedy Fly playing, mm-hmm. and that music video blew me away. And it's it's very, and as I I remember uh, finding out more about it, they. The imagery in that music video is very obscure and surrealistic and absurd. And he, I remember, um, oh shit. Gavin. Gavin. I remember him saying uh, in an interview 
that a huge inspiration for Greedy Fly was Franz Kafka. Hmm. And I was like, who was that? And so when I found out Metamorphosis and started reading more of Franz Kafka, I was it was just, again, Bush introduced me to surrealist literature. And then it was, I don't know, I think through Bush, I, it just allowed me to branch out to different things. But I think uh, in in terms of grunge, I don't know, like it, the roughness behind it, I think is what attracts me the most. What a lot of grunge fans would say the reason why Bush is not cool is because he sold out, like you said, because he did the one thing that no other grunge frontman did. Um, Put himself on movies. uh, He's (laughs) He's also... uh, He started banging Gwen Stefani in 1998. That's what happened. Well, Uh I'm going to say this, uh, and I don't want you guys to take it. Like, he's a fairly attractive man. Mm -hmm. Like, he's got, like, model good looks. And Kurt Cobain doesn't have that. No. Eddie Eddie Vedder didn't have it back in the day. So, like, maybe that's probably, like, he's too cute for this grunge stuff. Maybe. Well, even how he posed on magazines, too, didn't help either. Uh, Yeah. There's one where he was sitting on the famous one, I Mm. think, from, is it Rolling Stone or Mm -hmm. something, where he's on the bed, and he's just like, (laughs) I'm going to try to best explain this for the listeners. He's posed on a bed in a very provocative sexual manner. He's He's clothed, but he's got his arm hanging up behind his head, very gold and luscious locks, leather pants, and the hand hanging over the crotch. You know, just very, yeah, like gr- you said, like a model, very yeah. magazine-esque look. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I mean, he sold out because of uh, Gwen Stefani. Uh, you are dating a, the, the lead singer of No Doubt. You're not hardcore. <laughs> and See, again, it's the image. That, it's the image. Right. He, he, he was not a part of the image. What's the popular song he had in the mid-2000s? Like that pop song? Or like that mainstream. When they had their comeback? Yeah. Not I don't think it was Bush, I think it was just Gavin Rossdale was credited as the I don't artist. Know. Okay. I have no idea. All I was paying attention to was that they were married for almost fifteen years. I couldn't believe it. And then she banged uh, Blake Shelton. Yep. Yep. Right. Who wouldn't blame I mean, who wouldn't bang Blake Shelton? See, outside of Sixteen Stone and Razorblade Suitcase, I don't know anything else about Bush. They <laughs> they went they went down after that. They went down after that. I mean, like uh, Bush reminds me of another band from the early two thousands called Seven Dust, where they had two oh, great yeah, albums, yeah. just two amazing albums, and then where the fuck happened to them? It's kind of what Bush is in a way. Bush was a great band in the early nineties when they it were. came to when it came to grunge and stuff. But the problem is, is that Bush didn't follow the suit of everybody else. Grunge became exactly what it what it was protesting against. It became a commercial because Tommy Hilfiger was now selling flannel shirts and denim jeans. Yeah, and it's uh, my love for Bush. I think stems for those two mal- two albums. Yeah, and it's whenever I whenever anybody, and this is probably what sets me apart, probably from other fans, is when anyone asks me, "Is like what's what's the what's the first song that in a, makes you think of '90s." I will always say Machine Head from Bush. And it's because of that song, I loved how hectic, I loved how chaotic it was, and it got me into, because, again, it was another song from a movie I liked at the time, Fear. Uh, It put me into more, it directed me towards other songs that weren't quite as popular, like uh, Bird Brain's Youth of America, Mm -hmm. which was on Scream's soundtrack. Uh, Really, really fun, goofy song. And then it took me to, this is not to 90s, but it took me to 2003 with uh, Suffocate by Motograder. Yeah, Motograder, which we all know which who Motograder is. Texas, Ch- Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 2003. Do you know who, Mo- right there it is. Uh, uh, do you know who the lead singer of Motograder is now? No. Motograder had one album. Motograder? Motograder. Yeah. 
<laughs> they had they had one song called Suffocate, a hardcore Slipknot kind of song. Like their faces were painted. It was the theme song to Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake in 03. I think I introduced you to that one. I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, but Motor Grader had one album, broke up. The lead singer said, "Guess what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stop. I'm gonna continue. I'm gonna form a new band. His name is Ivan Moody, and he's the lead singer of Five for a Death Punch." <laughs> oh, it? really? He's the lead singer of Five for a Death Punch. Oh wow! All right. So so if you like Motor Grader. Then chances of you liking Five Figure Death Punch are pretty high because it's the same goddamn band, just different name. No, I've listened to Five Figure Death Punch. I it's the same it. band. I don't like it. It's the same guys. But see, I'm also not a huge Motorgrader fan. There's only like only sup except for Suffocate and No Name. They made they made thirteen songs only. So yes, you cannot hardcore be a fan. <laughs> but the band just said, you know what, we're gonna completely change our image. So they went this Five Figure Death Punch route. And every member of the band of Motor Grader is Five Figure Death Punch. Hmm. The lead singer Ivan Moody, uh, Moody, and all those guys. They're so I am a so I oh god. So I guess I am a Five Finger Death Punch fan by proxy. I mean, I mean, I mean they have they have that one good popular song, uh, the Pride. I don't know that one. Well, I'll play it for you guys <laughs> later. Where he just names off all um, every lyric is about um, it's about um, America. Yeah. He rhymes LeBron James with Johnny Cash and PBR, and it's it's, <laughs> it's amazing. It's oh, it's 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 it is straight conservative America Confederate flag. How dare you kneel at the national anthem song? It's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. But yeah, no. But yeah, that, Bush. I mean it's it's Bush. Yeah, it's if you don't know um, the six, if anyone who's not familiar with Bush, I would say the six songs to get really familiar with them would be Come Down. Mm. That will, this is from their album Sixteen Stone. Come Down, Machine Head, Glycerin. Oh, yeah, Glycerin. And then from Razorblade Suitcase, which is 96, I would listen to Greedy Fly, Swallowed, and Mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's even as a kid, music was eh, so-so for me. Sure. So the only way for me to, to enjoy it was through movies. And yeah. so to have this band um, be on certain movies that I watched a lot as a kid, it was like, oh, okay. Makes sense. And then especially as, like I said earlier, 90s, like the soundtrack, 90s movie soundtracks, uh, The Craft, I had The Craft. I had, I had, I had Batman forever, because, <laughs> because. Uh, the Craft is an amazing soundtrack. I mean, hell, I had the Titanic album, for God's sake. <laughs> um, which I was disappointed to, because the only actual song was Celine Dion's uh, My Heart Will Go On, and there was like two remixes after that about it, and then it was this... Um, instrumental and instrumental score. musics and I was like, Well this is this is good. <laughs> I wasted my life. I've wasted my life. And I bought the Alien Resurrection soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. No, it's just <laughs> instrumental. I like it. I was like, Ugh, God. My last thing about Bush is if you're a big fan of Bush Brandon or for anybody else, there was a very, very classic concert. It's on YouTube, you can find it. Uh, they talked about it and I love the nineties. I don't know if it was Woodstock ninety four or if it was Lollapalooza. It was one of those big concerts. But it was pouring down rain and you cannot perform a concert in pouring down rain because of electronics. Gavin and the rest of the uh, rest of the guys in Bush said, We're playing. So he's up there on stage, rain, it's thunderstorm, pouring down on them and they're playing glycerin. Nice. So YouTube, uh, Glycerin in the Rain or YouTube, something like that, mm-hmm. you'll find it. It's yeah. a very, very popular, popular uh, concert that he did there. Right. So it was one of the big ones. So check that one out. So yeah, that's my that's my stance on grunge. Uh, I mean, do you guys have any other questions on grunge, do you think? Or like my or, or my purpose in, in liking Bush? 
No, I mean, I mean, like, I mean, your your idea of liking Bush makes sense to me because you grew up with movies more and the movie soundtracks of the '90s, like we've already established, and not a single person in the world can prove Brother Brandon wrong. That '90s soundtracks were the greatest of all time. So I mean, like, I mean, so but, but, but you got this band where you got Nirvana, you got Pearl Jam, you got Faith No More, you got Red Hot Chili Peppers, you got Smashing Pumpkins, just to name a few, and also, um, no, never mind. I was, I was gonna say another band, but never mind. Uh, they're not on that. Mm. But you have a band that's been on two, three soundtracks, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I think they're on Batman Forever for no reason. Bush. Oh, you too was on Batman and Forever. <laughs> So, you know, it's just it's just one of those things, you know. Um, but yeah, no. Uh and Bush is fun. To end my thing, I will I will uh, recreate the best I can mm-hmm. what I always heard when I rent, rented movies. Mm-hmm. Now available on VHS and CD. Oh, it was amazing. Yes. Because it was like, "It's CD." We're buying I bought the Godzilla soundtrack in 98 <laughs> because of Puff Daddy's Come With Me. Yeah, yeah. With with Jimmy Page. This was before DVD entered yet, before when they were like on DVD and CD. But yeah. there was, I can remember being like, now available on VHS and uh, cassette. They did that. VHS and cassette. Cassette. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. But yeah. Bush. Well, speaking of a Thunder concert, let's talk about how the Thunder rolls and let's go into 90s country. Mm, huh. That was a good segue. Two, two weeks in a row, you're on fire with these segues, man. Yeah, you like that, buddy? These transitions, you're on point. Okay. Did you listen to the Celebrity Scandal episode? No, not yet. Well, that's what he's saying. You got. I, I was. I was for the first time in my life, clever. <laughs> hey, Ryan. Ryan gave me the tip of the hat on that episode. So yes. All right. So I originally I was gonna do bubblegum pop, and I, I talked to you guys about that. Um, because back in my uh, older adolescence, I was a huge fan of like the Backstreet Boys and then Sync. Uh, I really liked Christina Aguilera and all that stuff. And so I figured I would focus on, like, the cookie cutter, Britney Spears, Chris Aguilera, Aguilera, Jessica Simpson, uh, Mandy Moore, all that stuff. Oh, yeah, Mandy Moore candy. But I couldn't find a lot of stuff on the internet about it. When you look up bubble, because I could have sworn it was called bubblegum pop. When you look up, because I thought there was two distinct different uh, eras of bubblegum pop. Because yeah. in the 50s, in the 60s, and sometime in the 70s, same thing. These these uh, bands or acts that sounded and looked the same, performed the same, the songs are about the same stuff. Just assembly line process, you know, uh, to uh, to push singles and stuff like that. Not necessarily albums. Um, yeah, the when you look up bubblegum pop, it only talks about that era. Doesn't even. So I'm assuming that they. Wow. I'm assuming that that is just considered mainstream pop at yeah. that point. I would have assumed you could find like 200 pages worth of information. Yeah, no. I think the Beatles, when they came to America, was considered bubblegum pop. Were they? I want to hold your hand. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see yeah. that. You know what I mean? Before um, they got into... LSD. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided to switch uh, switch uh, tracks here and go with early uh, early 90s country. Which uh, I'm glad you did. Why? Uh, I find, uh, especially 90s country, from what because I grew up in a southern town, and while I'm not a fan of country, late 80s, especially 90s country... Just about every damn song told a story, and I love for that. Well, they do that now. It's amazing. But yes, I agree with you. It's, <laughs> it depends. And you got that country pop mix that I don't like. Well, see, here's... So I'm not a fan of modern country from, like, 2008 till now. I think country is just basically pop music with a southern accent. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, the 90s is really when it was, like... A mixture. Barely bluegrass, but poppy. And, like, they were able to incorporate rock aesthetic and everything like that. 
Um, but this was my childhood. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, from from when I can remember until about age nine, my parents got divorced. We were churchgoers. Uh, we went to a place called the Victory Center Church of God, in this old uh, off this old uh, uh, gravel road in the country outside of Wapak, where I'm from. Mm. And uh, my mom would not let us listen to the mainstream pop radio station. We had we there was 92 Zoo, which was the the Billboard Hot 100 whatever <laughs> tracks, uh, or uh, Froggy 93. Froggy 93. That was the country station. That was all we were allowed to listen to. <laughs> was the DJ named Froggy? No, that was his name of the station. That's right. funny because there's a bumper sticker in the show The Office that's Froggy. froggy. Yep. I don't know if it's Froggy 93. I think it's Froggy 94 or something like Froggy 94 5 or some shit like that. But anyway. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's Froggy 93 is on 93.1, which is now currently a uh, ESPN station uh, in Lima, Ohio. But um, this is my youth. This is what, when I think of 90s music, I tend to go back to country music. Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, Martin McBride, Kenny Chesney, Jeff Tritt, things like that. Oh yeah. Um, I focused on for my bit uh, two of the 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 two best selling uh, one male one female artists of the decade in country, and um, I'm pretty sure the man is the best selling of the decade in the nineties. You have Garth Brooks and Shania Twain. Shania, I Shania Twain was, and this is this is for Jordan as well. Shania Twain was big in our lives because that's all Dad ever talked about. Shania <laughs> Twain and Faith Hill were the two women that he was going to marry one day. Which is why I don't like uh, um, Shania Twain because every time she comes on, <laughs> I think about my dad when we're ten years old saying, "I'm gonna bone her." <laughs> <laughs> on the way to Cedar Point. That's great. That's good. Um, but yeah, my mom, uh, she had every Garth Brooks CD that I, I can remember up until, uh, like until. I think Chris Gaines. I think that's when she got turned off. Uh, you remember the Chris Gaines album where he was a, a he made just complete ballads and they were like pop songs and stuff. What are some titles from him? From Garth, Garth Brooks? Brooks? Oh, I, Chris Gaines. Chris Gaines is Garth. Brooks. Chris, Chris, oh. Chris Gaines is Garth Brooks playing Chris Gaines. So it's the album. I think I can't remember the actual name of, it, but it says Garth Brooks as Chris Gaines. Oh, okay. He I didn't hosted. Know that. He hosted an episode of Saturday Night Live where Garth Brooks was the host. And Chris Gaines was a musical guest. Okay. It was yeah. his gimmick. Just like just like Prince decided not to call himself Prince in the nineties. He was now the artist formerly known as Prince. So like an author's uh, pseudonym. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Stephen King, Richard Bach. Right. Okay. Yeah. Bachman. Um, Bach? Bachman. 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 Um and then she had uh, I think she's bought every Shania Twain album. Probably who has <laughs> come out. Um I mean that don't impress me much though. Yeah. Well, we were doing that in the in the chat earlier. So, all right. So, uh, country music in the early '90s was uh, the evolution of it was helped. Now, this is research. This is not off the top of my head. Uh, this thing called FCC Docket 8090. Mm. It's a, a deregulation on term uh, on uh, limits, mile limits between stations. So, it used to be you couldn't have you couldn't have a certain FM stations within a, pro- a close proximity of one another because they'd be fighting for airwaves, things like that. <laughs> Um, right. And a lot of country music at the time was on the AM band. So when they deregulated that, you had all these stations popping up in more rural areas, uh, or more low population areas. And so country would migrate to the FM because now there's vastly more FM stations than there are AM stations. And there's this thing I found called uh, beautiful music. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that term, that no. genre. It's just elevator music. Really? So that's such a way to like class up the joint, you know. So there's a Beautiful whole radio music. station dedicated to elevated music. There used to be. They're not oh, okay. The the what they would call beautiful music stations transferred over their format to country. 
I would relabel it pissed off music. <laughs> I can't stand elevator music. No, but I, I just thought that was in my research. I thought that was a great little... I didn't know that was what they called it. Beautiful <laughs> music. Um, but, then they, but then they also... Uh, so it says that the increase of exposure led to um, a, like a refining of the sound where more producers were seeking out these country acts to, to broaden their audience. Um, and then a lot, of, and then it also said that grunge was a big influence on the change because grunge was changing the sound of rock yeah. in mainstream music. So uh, going from the the classy hair metal to to the sound that we know of grunge, and that was All becoming right. that was becoming more and more popular on the mainstream uh, charts. And so country music was trying to fill that void left yeah. left by the like that the pop music and sort of that stuff disappearing. Sort of like today when you go when you look at pop music now, it's mostly techno and dance music. When you look at country music now, it's basically pop music, with, like I said, with a southern accent. Um, Garth Brooks. Well, facts about Garth Brooks. Uh, debut album, uh, I think it was in 1990 or 89. Do you remember? 90. 90? What's it called? Don't know. It's called Garth Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, uh, I, I picked four songs from him. Friends in Low Places, which I think was his first, his first popular song. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys have the same experience but in my school like that was the song every time there was a dance every time there was um, a football game every time there was uh, mm. they played at our graduation sure yeah like, that was the graduation song yeah yeah my graduation song was stupid cause it my graduation song was Freebird that's a long song <laughs> but I was like I'm like I'm like half you people I don't know where Leonard Skinner is anyway continue. ours was Walmart parking lot and I don't even know who that's by I'm oh never... oh that's um that's that guy who did the thrift store song, I think. Macklemore? Is that Macklemore? I have no clue. Macklemore did the thrift, the thrift store, but I think that's before Macklemore. I think Macklemore's like yeah. 2013. Oh. Anyways, I picked Friends in Low Places, The Dance, which yeah. is from uh, 19... It's from the same album. Uh, one of the... Probably one of the most unintentional, saddest music videos. I don't think I've ever seen the music video before. No, the worst music video ever that's the saddest is Don't Take the Girl. Well... Aside from that, sure. but I, I know like the dance. Um, I can, I remember, I can remember. There's something because I know the song is about. It can be taken two ways, I guess. It's like uh, detaching yourself from your brand, or like the, the death of someone important. I, from what I, cause, but the music video has showing news clips of the assassination of um, Martin Luther King, Jr. Uh, the the space shuttle that discovery. Was I thought it was Challenger. Challenger. Oh, really? I thought it was Discovery. Yeah, and then John Wayne, too. <laughs> it's weird. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, Standing Outside the Fire, uh, and then Calling Baton Rouge. Calling Baton Rouge. Uh, and I think those those give a ni- those four songs uh, give a nice uh, a nice look into what I think country music was at that time period. Because you can do like the arena rock stuff. With friends in low places, and Colin Baton Rouge, and even somewhat of the standing outside the fire. Then I think got... he was one of the first to do arena. Oh yeah, country. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was because I, th- I think he has like one of the highest grossing tours of all time. Yeah, and his he first made, world tour. He made the split stage famous, which was fun. Which was fun. What's the split stage? Well, there's just like two parts walking out. So two you can parts go walking out, and they combine in the beginning. So in the middle, oh, you, you have, have you audience. have you have audience in the oh, middle of the cool. stage. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um. Just a couple facts about him. Uh, he is the best-selling artist of the 20th century, ahead of Elvis. He has sold. Whoa. He has sold, Oh yeah, I believe that. He has sold more units of singles and albums combined mm-hmm. than Elvis. He's second in the world all time behind the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Um, I 
He has Damn. the he's the best selling album artist in the United States. More than Michael Jackson. And he's the only artist in history. Only only act, whether it's a band or a solo artist, to have seven certified diamond albums. And diamond is goddamn impossible. Michael Jackson only had one album, Diamond. The Beatles have six. Thriller? Thriller's Diamond. The Beatles Jeez. have six, they're number two. Um Diamond. He's just an all-around good-looking guy. Diamond is what a hundred million? <laughs> I have no idea what exactly. It is. I believe I believe diamond is a hundred million unit. No, it can't be a hundred million units. Is what's gold? Gold is I don't want gold. Platinum I know is a million units. So between all of his albums, between his live albums, the Christmas albums, the studio mm. albums, things like that, he has sold one hundred and thirty-six million albums. And that's number one. Would gold be considered five hundred thousand then? Yeah, gold because it's gold, platinum, diamond. And diamond was introduced in the late eighties, early nineties because people were getting. I mean, fuck Metallica's Black album came out in nineteen ninety one, went sixteen times platinum. Jesus Christ! So I mean, <laughs> so I just yeah, I, I diamond is fuck shit. There's I mean, seven of them. He has. He has seven albums. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, diamond. Wow, yeah, because you got the modern day diamond right now is is on. Believe it or not, it's actually Katy Perry. Cool, teenage dream. Most, I think it's strange, uh, fascinating that, and it was probably the same back then, but I didn't notice it. Um, most artists now, at least pop artists, Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, and all, they're brands. That's all they are. Like they put out a song, it tends to just automatically go to number one, just mm. because they're a brand. Right. Oh yeah. That's why I found that fascinating. Um, yeah. This guy's guy amazing. Whereas this guy started from nothing. Like, I mean, there was... And that's impressive. Yeah. To know that he essentially launched country for the 90s then. Mm -hmm. Him and Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah, there was a, there was oh, a thing yeah. I found... There was a thing I found in my research that said there was a lot of... Uh, someone... Uh, people were, would complain that country music now sucked because a lot of it was influenced by line dancing. Yeah, and they cited Achy Break Your Heart <laughs> as the one that they that everyone despises. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Didn't, I didn't know or, he was that or, prolific. Or Cotton Eye Joe. God, I fucking hate Cotton Eye Joe. I refused to have it. Elise wanted to play that at our wedding. Yeah. I, I, I put my foot down on that. I said, no, no yeah. fucking I've had way. enough of that at a middle school dance. Yeah, no, Garth Brooks was like, was like your dad's music when you're growing up, you know, because it's like, it was just now it's my music, but when I was growing up, I wanted something different. I wanted something edgy. But it sounds like with those with that with that sort of number, mm -hmm. it almost sounds like he was so versatile that he was probably. It sounds like he was, was family friendly. Oh yeah, no, he's very family, fa very family friendly. The thing that I like, because I, I, I really like Garth Brooks, I think he's I think he's a really great singer, a really great performer. Um, his songs are very accessible. Yeah. Very easy to ingest, things like that. I'm not gonna. They're not very challenging. They're not like you know. You're not gonna find them probably on the greatest of, but they have. But to a lot of people, probably relatable. Yeah, no, they're very relatable. They have, yeah. they have, they have, they they have a main. They, they have a, a, the ability to appeal to to appeal to mainstream as well as a niche audience at the same mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I yeah. I mean huh. no yeah yeah Garth Brooks I respect Garth Brooks for what he's done. I mean Diamond is fucking huge seven times. And you can't sit here <laughs> and say that nobody's good. When they've gone diamond seven times, yeah, because you know. they're not only appealing to one audience at mm. that point. Yeah, you know? they're that's evidence that they're branching out. Mm. Yeah, no, it, it was great, and uh, uh, Thunder Rolls was a big one. Thunder Rolls, yeah, we're talking Thunder about that. Um, I always found that song strange because my mom, like I said earlier, she didn't want us to listen to mainstream music because like there's sex and things like that but she had no problem with us listening to that song the song that summer which i talked about on our top five mm -hmm. no problem with that 
Um, and then she had no problem with us uh, with listening to Thunder Rolls, which is about a husband killing his wife. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah I it's know. Very strange. Um, that, that goes into that. That already is another example that goes into even with movies, like how violence is is okay in comparison to sex. Yeah, yeah. Or nipple, <laughs> nipple. <laughs> you nipple. can shoot up a guy with thirty bullets, but the moment you slip a nip, oh, yeah. Ho, 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 ho. yeah. Which. I have two things, but since we talk about the nip, this was not what I was going to bring up, but I'll just go with it. In Ohio, I'm just it, it just makes sense to me. In Ohio, in strip clubs, every Ohio in strip club, you have to have nipple pasties. You cannot show nipple ever. Yeah. And, and they have in, to wear like a G-string too. You can't and show you're clean. in a strip club. Do they show ankle? Yes. I just find that interesting, you know, because <laughs> Brandon, because you're right. I mean, like you can show a guy getting completely obliterated. Yeah. But you can't show nipple. And then when you're in an adult-only establishment that's a strip club, you can't show... It's it's fascinating. Well, it's the puritanical view still. It is. And then the second thing I was going to say about um, Garth Brooks was um, never was a fan. When I was growing up, I always compared Garth Brooks to people that love NASCAR. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But NASCAR was the biggest rating ever had in the 90s. Oh, it, its height was the '90s. Yeah, so I mean, it's like it was like you, you got you got Budweiser, you got Coca-Cola, you got a can of dip, and you got your Garth Brooks, you got your NASCAR. It I was, mean, that's what it was. NASCAR was so big in the '90s that you didn't even hit you. You were it was one of those things where you didn't see one race, but if someone came up and he was like, "Who's your driver?" It was either Jeff Gordon or Dale Earnhardt. Yeah, no, mine was Mark Martin, Shania Twain. Mm. Um, my mom, big fan, huge fan, when I was a kid. Canadian. Like, Canadian, yeah. She's from a small little place, I can't remember what it's called. I should have wrote it down. Um, <laughs> she, she did live in a, t- I did see that she lived in a town called Wawa when she was younger. Nice. W-A-W-A. That's a very interesting name. Um, she, like I said earlier, I was a big fan of NSYNC. Uh, I like that easy breezy pop music. Yeah. And, uh, I was a huge fan of her song, You're Still the One. I don't know if you... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's about her husband. I think she wrote it about her husband. Like, it's between dad... Between dad's serious infatuation and the area that I grew up, you know, she was... She was a big star. Um, so the songs I suggested uh, for this one is You're Still the One. Oh, yeah. You uh, That Don't Impress Me Much. <laughs> and Whose Bed Have Your Boots Been Under? Yes. And I, that, I picked that one because I, I thought it was more popular in her oeuvre than it was. Um, there's like a lot of songs that were a lot, like, charted higher than that, uh, than that song. I just because I always enjoyed it. I just thought like that was one of the best examples of sort of like dancing country. Mm-hmm. Like it's got that nice like boot stomping beat to it. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, outside of like, uh, like Alan Jackson or something, you don't really get that a whole <laughs> lot in the early '90s. Um, well, see, once again, with uh, "Don't Impress Me Much." Uh, going back to what I said earlier, how I needed movies to get me sort of into and influenced by music. Don't Impress Me Much did that because of her mentioning of Brad Pitt. And I knew Brad Pitt at the time with Thelma and Louise and with 12 Monkeys and with Fight Club. So once I, I, I was like, I was a huge Brad Pitt fan. Still am. Um, so when I heard his name in Don't Impress Me Much, I'm like, oh my God, I love this song. You know, to know that someone in country was gonna was giving respects to Brad Pitt. Now, granted, her her reference to Brad Pitt is okay. So you look like Brad Pitt. Whatever that doesn't impress me much. But still, the mere fact that he his name was mentioned, I was like, I like this chick. I just <laughs> liked her because she had the leopard print outfit in that video, walking in the desert with the tube top. 
Oh my god. Mm. <laughs> um, but I picked her because I think I think she's a nice counterpart to Gar- counter uh, counterpart to Garth Brooks because Garth Brooks is sort of the impetus of the '90s country, and she's like the full blown, uh, almost almost full transition to pop music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she represents like the melding of the two genres of country and pop easily. Um, just uh, some facts: five Grammys. She's won mm-hmm. three. Only female in history to have three consecutive Diamond albums. Yeah, Madonna even do that. Tenth uh, best-selling artist artist of all time, mm-hmm. uh, and then her album "Come On Over," which I picked, uh, which that don't impress me much. And you're still a winner from. Uh, which one's uh, "Man, I Feel Like a Woman"? I, I think that's also that's on there. That has to be. I think that's from uh, the one between. It was ninety-eight, ninety-nine. Okay, so that's that's "Come On Over," because um, I thought it might have been on uh, the woman and me. Uh, "Come On Over" is the best-selling album by a female artist in any genre. Yeah. Nice. Which is amazing cause you got Janet Jackson You got Madonna Yeah And it's like Nope Nope Shania Twain Shania Are you Are you guys away Or away Are you guys aware of The TV show Broad City On yeah. Comedy Central It's a funny show like She just made an appearance In the last season Shania Twain did Doing what uh, It's Abby One of the characters She's trying to uh, Get back into uh, Well It's hard to say anything Without spoiling it for anyone But Trey Her boyfriend at the Um the fitness center is uh, training Shania Twain, so Abby is like, "Oh my God, you're training Shania Twain? Let me just let me let me be an assistant trainer for the day, so I can be near her." So it's she's got a she's got a small appearance in that episode. Hmm. That's really, really funny. She's that's actually really, really funny in that episode. <laughs> uh, it's hilarious. Man, I feel like a woman was really big for her though. Because, oh no, she had a lot of like because because that video uh, was a mock off of another video in the eighties. Uh, forget the name of the guy you can youtube it or google it but there was an artist in the 80s he had a he had a popular song um and it was him the same setup you know with the with uh with uh with like uh, with like the red background and he's standing in front of a suit and you have a bunch of sexy ladies behind him dancing uh-huh. so she was like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna gender reverse it you don't you don't know his name or like google it okay i it, it's shit no okay. but i mean but 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 that video was huge for her the, the the man I feel like a woman because like of woman. that video because it was like oh this video was popular like ten years ago oh my god and like she completely just said fuck you well do you think I'm wondering too like the what she was able to do and you made the comparison to Madonna earlier mm-hmm. whereas I I feel like Madonna didn't get maybe didn't get quite to that praise as Shania Twain did because the eighties were still a little. I don't know, a, a still a little reeled in and wanting to express or announce anything sexual. No, no, you're 100% right. That's Whereas the, why the 90s now. broke ground in that. Yeah, uh, but Shania Twain was not walking around in a cone bra. Well, no, uh, you but... Know, so that's that's the difference, because Shania Twain never did... But her sexuality was still highly expressed in her videos. Her sexuality was hype, but not ever compared to Madonna. Right. So just, that's I what think, I'm saying. I think still, if Shania Twain was in the '80s, I think she'd still suffer the same kind of backlash that Madonna did in terms of maybe. I don't. She never went as extreme as Madonna. No. I don't want to say that, but I don't. I think because of where we were at culturally and understanding in the '90s, it allowed her to be a little bit more open and openly expressive. Well, I always felt like in that comparison, I, I feel like Madonna is hypersexualized. Mm-hmm. Like she puts that out because that's her image. That's what she right. wants to be. Um, whereas Shania Twain is sort of like that girl next door. Yeah. It's like the one you want to bang, the one the you want to get The one that is with. hot, that's wearing the tight pants, and you just imagine what's underneath those pants. Yeah, and I feel yeah. like that that 
because like if you watch her music videos like the the one for from this moment on mm-hmm. um she's just like like angelic walking down a hallway and she's got her hair all braided and shit and then she's on this big stage but then you watch her still the one like she's in a bathtub at some point she's rolling around on right. the beach at some point so like it's yeah and i think those came out roughly the same year yeah. i think it's the equivalent to the uh <laughs> <laughs> to like the the women, remember in the the old Hardee's commercials where they had bikini women just yep. biting into a burger. <laughs> well, fuck, it's the way it needs to be now. <laughs> God damn it! Um, another big female artist that was country uh, had only one big major hit actually though, but uh, it was it was Leanne Rhymes. Oh, yeah, with "How Do I Live," you know that was that was a huge one. And was Cheryl Crow considered country? No, she's a rock. She's a rock act. Okay. As far as I know, she might she might have a. I think does she have a country album? Not in the 90s. I know that much. I thought she was country because I thought the uh, I Want to Soak Up Some Sun song. Oh, was. no. That's not country. I think, I, I'm think i pretty sure she's considered rock. But, like, yeah, no. This was my childhood. Uh, my mom, this is basically what we listened to. Like, uh, she would listen to Garth Brooks, Shania Twain, Tim McGraw, and the Hope Float soundtrack. Yeah, I don't like Tim McGraw. You don't like Tim McGraw? No. See, I almost did Tim McGraw. Cause I almost did uh, Just to See You Smile, because I think that's a, a pretty poppy song. Sure. Um, but then I, I just figured I'd hone it down to these two, since you guys, since he only picked uh, Bush, and you picked the one album you wanted to talk about. I'm not going to spoil it, because we're almost there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, well, the that's... reason why I don't like Tim McGraw is because in 2001, he says, we'll put your boot, we'll put a boot in your ass. That's the American way. That's uh, that's um, Toby Keith. Toby Keith. I'm sorry. Two guys, same thing. Yeah, but yeah. I don't I... like Toby Keith. I like uh, quote unquote classic Toby Keith from the '90s when he was just a cowboy. Yeah, he was just a cowboy. Yeah, but before he became a the uh, beer swilling badass. Yeah, but he, because Toby Keith's the guy who has Red Solar Cup song, right? Yeah, that's amazing. Good oh. as I once was, things like no. that. I hate I hate Toby Keith. Why is it though in country in the '90s though? Why are the men like Garth Brooks, Toby Keith, all those guys? Why are they walking around looking like a stereotypical cowboy, but the girls like Shania Twain are not? Like it's just, working like cowgirls. Yeah, it's know? just the iconography you got to work, you know, work within your means. Uh, it's like she the, wasn't country. She didn't have a country look. She's also Canadian. Shania Twain. So she's far from country. Yeah, she's. I think she's from like northern Canada too. She's completely far. Her from country. um, her first album didn't sell well at all, and then she met uh, the producer. This producer named Mutt Lang. They end up getting married and being married for like 16, 17 years. Um, but when he produced her album, uh. The woman and me—that's when she took off and became like a yeah. big, big deal. Um, but yeah, no, I think that it's just the what you work like. Their country. This is what country used to be. You know, we're gonna keep it how it is before we can change it. Essentially, like you get—you're not gonna be appealing to country people walking around like looking like Madonna. No, that's just not gonna happen. I'm trying to remember besides Lee and Rhyme. So because like if you look back one. at like Loretta Lynn. Even Reba McIntyre when she was in the uh, oh Reba the, yeah, yeah when yeah. she was popular in the eighties yeah they were like button up dresses yeah no yeah, yeah. big perms things like that very modest yeah yes there's no other big ones in the nineties besides her in country I can think of uh, I mean Faith Hill was relatively large in okay. the in the late nineties she had this yeah, kiss Faith, yeah and then the one other song this I can't kiss remember. is not country. It's pop music, yeah, but it's it's presented yeah, it's, it's, it's presented as country music. Yeah. But like Shania Twain. Um, Who's who's uh, who's bed every boot's been under? That's a country song. Yeah, it has pop influences, but it is a it is like I said earlier, a boot stomping, good old time song. Sure. Um, but then when you get to something like you're still a one, uh, or from this moment, those are basically pop ballads. There's gotcha. no there's no two ways about it. Those are basically pop ballads, just presented because she's a country artist. It's like uh, it's like Carrie Underwood. Carrie Underwood, I guess, is a modern counterpart. I love Carrie Underwood. Yeah, 
like she's a country artist but she has her songs sound like pop songs so they cross over easily like taylor swift used to be the same way before she went straight pop oh no taylor, oh, t swift is straight pop oh she's straight <laughs> pop now she's been straight pop since i think her third album uh red uh, red was the one that changed it over yeah, and then, then the album for that was 1980 uh 1989 was it 89 she's born in 89 well that's why it's 1989 yeah because adele's one's got the age number on yep, her album and she will have not a single another one she's done adele's done oh yeah the adele, adele, adele she had a good run she had she had 19 she had 21 and then she had 25 yeah if she's not making another one good for her she's i think she's a classic at this point yeah speaking of classics follow the leader <laughs> which I listened to for the, the like I again because I think you talked about it when we did our top five I had to listen to some songs but never listened to the full album I listened to the full album today so. did you listen to the full album? Uh, yesterday I did oh um, you listened both of you listened to the full album oh yeah, yeah we're committed to this motherfucker alright yeah. good well I'm excited to see what you guys have to uh, say about it but before we go into that yeah Corn, Follow the Leader the third album uh, by Corn. uh Perhaps not only the most popular album in the band's history of their... I think they have 10 albums now. Uh, but also kick wave the rap rock and also kick off the new metal genre. <laughs> new uh, metal spelled in you. And you. Also, this was the first time that a band used the internet as marketing. Okay. So what they did was in 1990, uh, 1997, when they were making the album... Uh, they bought a domain. Uh, they uh, they bought a .com, and you could go to it. Back in the day, it was called CornTV.com. CornTV is it still something available? This is Corn's website now, but oh, okay. it used to be CornTV.com, and it was they had essentially a, a '97 version of webcams <laughs> in the studio while they were recording. Um, That's pretty the album. cool. So it's the pretty ad, forward thinking right there. So the audience could see what's happening. However, though, there was really no age limits because there's very infamous storylines. and You can't see the footage anymore because it was all streamed live, essentially. But there was uh, uh, the first song in the album, It's On. Jonathan Davis is singing, the lead singer of Korn. He's singing It's On. Imagine this, true story. Jonathan Davis said it himself. Why he's singing It's On in one take, every guy in his band is around him getting a, their dick sucked. Okay. All right. Live on that stream thing. It's fucking wasteland in the internet. Ninety-seven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so let's talk about corn and why this is so popular and why this is a big deal for me. First of all, corn's first album, self-titled Corn, came out in nineteen ninety-four. Creepy ass album cover. When it nineteen ninety-four. Oh, okay, I said eighty-four for a second. Yeah, I was like, wow. Uh, Jonathan Davis and the rest of the band was only twenty, twenty-one, and all seventeen at the time. Uh, you have Jonathan Davis, who is the singer. You have David, who is the uh, drummer. You have Head, who is the uh, main guitar. That's just his name, Head. Head. <laughs> nice. Uh, and why he's called Head is just because he has a huge head. I thought you were say because he has no head. And I was no. like, it's like calling a large guy tiny. You have you have Monkey, who is rhythm guitar. Okay. And Monkey is M U N K E Y. And then you have uh, Fieldy, who was bass. Is he the one that left? No. Okay. No. Uh, two guys left. Uh, David left. Because he completely tore up his uh, tricep in his arm and he, he can't do it anymore. He was the drummer. And then you had uh, Head. Uh, head left in the early in the mid-2000s because he found Jesus and he needed to get away. That's and now he came back. Oh, he came back? Oh, yeah. Did he, did he renounce God? 
No, no, no. Oh, God, okay. God's, God's still his thing. Oh, okay. But, uh, you know, he came back, and their new album, The the Suffering of Serenity, is just uh, old corn. Great. But you had the first album, Corn, which was a creepy album cover. It had a, um, it had a, it had this shadow of clearly a guy holding something deadly, standing over a little girl. Very creepy album cover. And then the second album cover had another child in danger. Second album was called Life Is Peachy, and it was uh, the album cover was this little boy dressing up in a suit, looks like getting ready for a funeral, and it has this one. black shadow guy behind him too. And he's not in the other. It's it's weird. Yeah, yeah. The third album cover is drawn by McFarlane, the guy who did Spawn and all the McFarlane toys. Yeah, who also, uh, his animation is in uh, Disturbed's remake of Land of Confusion. McFarlane also did the cover for their album, 10,000 Fist. Yeah, yeah. And uh, McFarlane did the uh, did the music video uh, cart, uh, animation for Freakin' Unleash. But if you actually buy the album cover, there's more to the cover than just what you see on when you stream. If you buy the booklet, which I had multiple copies of the album, when you open it up, the whole booklet came out and you saw all the kids going from the town up to the cliff. Mm. And the reason why, right there, I get introduced to corn because of Dad. Now, how I get introduced to corn from Dad is Dad doesn't know what corn is. Dad, so this day, doesn't know who corn is. But he just knows it's it's a it's a it's a side dish. Yeah, <laughs> yellow or white. Yeah, uh, but we were at uh, Anderson's uh, yearly barbecue thingy, mm. and we were playing volleyball. You know, people playing volleyball. This was 1998, so the album came out that year. So I was I was 11 years old, and uh, the older kids, you know, the teenagers, were had their jukebox, their boombox, whatever you want to call it, and they had that album cover, and they were playing corn. And the album cover, you guys have seen the album cover. Right? It's just amazing, right? It's just strictly fucking awesome. Tell me that's not a great album cover. Where it's called Follow the Leader, and you got all these kids waiting to jump off the cliff following the girl in red. That's amazing. It's provocative in its subtlety. I love it. You know, What do you think about the album cover, Ryan? Uh, I mean, I, I thought it was uh, very nice looking. It was written drawn very well. Uh, I, mean, that, I mean, if you listen to the album, it fits. Fits the album. Album's yeah. very dark. Yeah. yeah. To, very dark. <laughs> not their darkest yeah, yeah. album. Not their darkest? No. Very dark. Wow. <laughs> no, that's not their darkest album. Yeah, no, I mean I, I thought it looked nice. I like I like how uh you said it was McFarland drew that. Yeah. I like how it draws the faces. Yeah. They're sort of like uh oval shapes mm-hmm. and the smiles are kind of weird. They're kinda of, like creepy. Weird. Yeah, it is. I like it. Yeah. Um I will talk about Father Leader, but since we said about dark and then I'll just completely talk about Father Leader after this. The darkest album is actually the first album. If you guys really want to cut your wrist, um, it is the last song in the album, and that's called Daddy. It's track 12. So the real story behind Jonathan Davis is uh, he was he was sexually assaulted by a family friend, female family friend, hmm. in in real life, and he would he, he would go to his mom and dad and say, like, so your boy's no longer a virgin, and I'm 10 years old, oh, and wow. nobody believed him. They all called him a liar. Nobody would believe him. And he questioned his sexuality. Am I gay? Am I straight? Dealing with cutting and all these things that he was trying to figure out how to cope with learning how to deal with it. And the song Daddy, what they were famous for, and Follow the Leader is the first album, and they haven't done it since, it's the first album where they don't have Jonathan Davis crying for six minutes after the song, uh, after being recorded. 
<laughs> so at the end of the, so at so at the end of Daddy, which is the first, uh, which is the last track in the first album, uh, the Ross Robinson, who's the producer of the album, just kept him recording. And there's Jonathan Davis like laying on the floor in the fetal position, just crying and vomiting over himself because he's in so much pain. Hmm. Uh, fucking disturbing. And they did the same thing on the last track for Life Is Peachy with Kill You. But this album doesn't do that at all. It did not. Which is which I would is remember that if it which had is happened. Interesting. Which is interesting. <laughs> so Father Leader only had two number one singles. Uh, it had Got the Life and Freak on a Leash. Freak on a Leash was the popular one. Got the Life was not as popular as they Freak on a Leash. They played Freak on or what's what's the one with the bullet? Freak on a Leash. Freak on, Freak on a Leash. Yeah. They played that one on TRL. Yep, it was the first music video to be retired. Was it? From TRL. Ah. So not only so 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 we talked about numbers. For Garth Brooks or Shania Twain, Diamond and all that stuff, that's great because that's universally accepted. Garth Brooks, I forgot to mention, um, his fourth album, uh, Rope in the Wind, which I think is an nice. incredibly southern uh, <laughs> title, is the first country song to debut at number one on the Billboard uh, Top 100 really? album charts. That's yep, amazing. Very first one. Corn's Follow the Leader has gone seven times platinum. I thought it was five, but it's seven. Seven times platinum. That's amazing. Especially for that album. That album. Yeah. Fucking dark. Um, also, it was the kickoff of New Metal. Uh, they have won, uh, they won two Grammys off of that album. They also won an MTV Music uh, Music Award for like best album of the what, year. What category did they win for? Is that just uh, metal? Me- metal? Metal. Well, hard rock is what they, they didn't oh, call it metal back then. But okay. yeah, hard rock and it was something else. And then... Um, it was, it was seven times platinum. Oh, and it's also on Rolling Stones' 1001 albums you need to listen to before you die list. It's, I mean, it's a good album when I listen to it. I, I enjoyed listening. It's not my cup of tea. I'll probably never no. listen to it again, but, like, I, you know, it's, I, I didn't turn it off. No, yeah. So before I get into my, uh, before I want to know your guys' opinions, my last bit of history of it is, again, streaming this is so different compared to what it was. So if you bought the album, the actual physical disc, the first track was not track one. The first track was track 13. And the reason why that is is because there's a song in the album called Justin, and that's named after an actual fan who was dying of cancer. And he had to make a wish that he wanted to see and hang out with the band Corn. So <laughs> the first 12 tracks are like five, seven seconds long of just silence for respect for uh, Justin. Okay. And also Jonathan Davis' the Superstition. Is, is, is very superstitious and there's only 13 tracks on the album and he didn't want to end the album on 13 okay so that's amazing that you buy an album and the first track is 13 hmm. you know you you buy the disc it's 1998 you're excited you put in your disc player and it's like skip 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 until number 13 oh it did that oh yeah oh wow oh, yeah. you put the album in you press play you got a full one minute which is tracks 1 through 12 just yeah. cut up in seconds you got a full one minute of silence it did not start until the song it's on which is number 13 that's interesting so Ryan because I'm interested in what you gotta say I'm really interested in what you gotta say too but Ryan so you listen to the Follow the Leader album from beginning to end mm-hmm. is this do you see why this is a big deal um I mean somewhat it's like I said it's an enjoyable album uh to a certain extent because it gets it gets really dark uh, near the end, uh, but I, I guess like the last, I don't know, it might have been four songs just kind of blended together. 
Like Camel, Tosis, Seed, BBK, Justin. Yeah, it just kind of sounded the same. Mm-hmm. Like just, I mean, at that point to me, it just felt like kind of like noise. Mm-hmm. Um, but like they got good songs, like the the two ones that the two that were hits. Uh, and then the one All in the Family is really interesting. With Limp Bizkit's Fred Durst. Yeah. And then is that um, is that the same song? Because I because I I streamed it as one hour like one hour long video. So I, the songs weren't broken up evenly because they mm. they actually have very good transitions on that album. I was very surprised. Yeah. Where, like the songs just kind of flow into each other. Yeah. Um. So I didn't, I don't really remember. Uh. Is that the one where they make fun of? Because I, I feel like there was another song where they make fun of Limp Bizkit. That is the song they make That's fun of Limp, Limp Bizkit. Bizkit. Okay. Yeah. So you, you had All in the Family, which was a rap rock song, and then they also had Children of the Corn with Ice Cube. Ice Cube. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's that was a good song too. I was really surprised Ice Cube, by that. Yeah. Because yeah, when he was on, I was like. What's a rapper? Yeah, Ice Cube, man. Um, yeah, no. And I, they also had a third rapper too from England, uh, who did Camel Tosis. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't really remember. Like the like I said, I don't really remember the well, last with Ice Cube songs. being involved. That that probably is in part to I forgot the name of it, but you showed me a Family DVD. Values tour. Yes. The Family Values tour came out to promote this album. Okay. That's why Ice Cube is on the Family Values tour. Gotcha. But I also felt listening to it that uh, it sounded like I thought it was gonna have a different sound than it did. Like I thought it was gonna be heavier sounding. Like like near the end, it gets really heavy. Like like the first like four tracks. It's on. Got the life. Freak on a leash. Yeah, like and it, then you had BBK. Like it like it gets darker as you progress. Um, like as I was listening, I felt like uh, Lincoln Park yeah. is like a very sanitized version of this album. <laughs> sure. Like those first few songs. That's yeah. that was the thing I took from it. What do you think of the song "Pretty"? That's my favorite song on the album. Start. Mm. Give me some parts. Uh, he says, um, um, "I uh, I see your pretty face smashed against the bathroom floor." Oh, yeah, I like that one. I don't really remember a whole lot from it, but yeah. Because when when it would catch my eye, like when my eye, when it catch my ear, I would because the the video had the the back of the album on there, so you could see the track yeah. listings and stuff. I think that was one of them I looked at. Like, All in the Family and that, then the first four. Yeah, because Pretty reminds me of the movie What Lies Beneath with uh, Harrison oh, Ford. Oh, yeah, yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer. Because because the lyrics are literally like, I see your pretty face smash up against the bathroom. It's about a guy who kills his wife in a bathtub. Hmm. That's what the movie lies, oh, okay. what lies beneath is. So every time I listen to that song, I'm thinking of, I gotta cut a music video of Harrison Ford killing Michelle Pfeiffer yeah. with that song. Brandon, what did you think of Follow the Leader? Uh, I actually enjoyed it. Um, I again, I'm gonna see. You'll probably get it right away. How I've been saying the whole show, movies influence yeah. how I get into music. Can you can you name the movie that got me into corn? Movie got you. Uh, uh, Tomb Raider. Cradle of Life. Yeah, Cradle of Life. <laughs> did they, my time. I uh, did my time, which was on the uh, which was their. Take a look in the mirror. Take a look in the mirror, which was their sixth album. Okay. So yeah, that's I mean, other than through you because I can kind of remember I through you growing up, I definitely remember Follow the Leader's album cover. Yes. And I That you, sticks I, with you. Yeah. And then even the one before it with the the kid in the suit and tie, there's things I can remember as a kid you showing me mm. now thinking about it. My favorite song is BBK. BBK. And you guys know what BBK is? Big Black Cock. Oh, okay, cuz all right. Well, that's not what it is, but I thought maybe. Yeah, Big Black Cock. No, it's oh. Bitch Bitch Cock. Oh. But anyway. Bitch, bitch, cock? <laughs> yeah. They have a song on the second album, Life is Peachy, called Cunt. Okay. And every lyric is a swear word. See, I thought maybe, because the, the porn 
acronym BBC is Big Black Cock. So I yeah. thought maybe it was their play on Big Black Cock. No, I mean, as, as far as I've always been told of what I've done research, it's supposed to be Bitch Bitch Cock. Oh, okay. But, hey. <laughs> but, I watch too much porn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But how, okay, so how does this re, uh, relate in terms of the genre of alternative rock? This kickstart everything. So no, so in 1997, Limp Bizkit's first album which you guys make fun of me on, but if you guys ever listen to Limp Bizkit's first album, $3 Bill, y'all, it is completely fucking different than Limp Bizkit than you know. Limp Bizkit's first album is as dirty, vomity, guttural as Follow the Leader is. It's completely different than the Limp Bizkit everybody knows. So when 1997 rolled around, nobody knew who Limp Bizkit was. And their introduction to Limp Bizkit was Fred Durst on... All in the family on this on this album track only because Corn was in and I'm answering your question. Corn was in Jacksonville and that's where Limp Biscuits from. And Fred just was a tattoo artist and he didn't know Corn. This was in 1986. And uh, Fieldy came in the bassist and said, "I want you to write Corn on my ankle, on the back of my ankle." Well, Fred Durst did it, and then when Fieldy looked at it, it he spelled it C O R N. <laughs> and he's like, "No, what are you doing?" You know what I mean? Yeah. So they just had a good laugh, and Fred Durst says, "Here, check out my demo." And then, boom, we're going to put you on this album. So, it gave birth to Limp Biscuit. It gave birth, well, Corn's File Leader. It gave birth to a lot of hard rock and new metal became huge in the early, would you in the say, late 90s. Would you say Slipknot is a product of? I was about to ask that. I was, I was going to say Slipknot, but Slipknot will always deny that they are. Hmm. Uh, Slipknot is like the, we're not like you, well, would, but they are, though. I would. I mean, they sound very similar, because my brother was a huge Slipknot fan, at least that one album that was really popular in the early 2000s. I can't remember exactly which, which one. Which one? Slipknot, Iowa, or Subliminal Versus? Same again? Slipknot, Iowa, Subliminal Versus. I think it was Iowa. Uh, they have a goat on the cover? I think so, yeah. Yeah, Iowa. Yeah, he listened to that a lot, and it sounds similar to this album. Yeah, it's, it's very dark, it's very heavy. I mean, Slipknot would always say that they're not Corey Taylor, the lead singer. Slipknot would always say that they're not. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, Slipknot, the first album came out in 1999. So well, see, it's, the same it's, time. it's one of those things that, even for me growing up, I couldn't, it, it was just because they're so, they were, they were finding their stride sort of at the same time. Mm-hmm. I can't, especially growing up, I couldn't see one without seeing the other. Well, see, the difference with Korn and Slipknot is that Korn, I think, is a little bit, Korn's sound, I think, is actually more professional compared to Slipknot. Slipknot, you have nine members that are all doing something, and you can't really hear uh, Sid doing uh, Sid, who um, who was who was the turntablist, and then you also got uh, I think he's number seven, uh, but he's the guy with the spikes in his head. He does the samples. You can't you can't hear what they're doing with Korn. You can hear Fieldy's bass slaps, and he doesn't yeah, play yeah. the bass with his fingers. He plays it by slapping it. You know what I mean? That's what the term slap well, the bass. What, what's slap interesting, the bass. What's interesting with Freak, Freak on a Leash was uh, my favorite song on there was BBK. I was already way familiar with BBK because it was the first song for me to affiliate Korn's Yep. Yep. Korn, uh, Korn did that in their second album, uh, Life is Peachy. But yes, uh, yeah, Jonathan Davis uh, made that fucking famous. And it means nothing. Yeah. It it's means just scat. He's just scatting. Yeah, yeah it, it does. And he was, uh, the reason why the bullet music videos for Freak on a Leash is because that was an anti-gun commercial video uh, in the 90s. Okay. There's actually there's actually a video, that's what they based it on, where a kid had a gun. It was an actual serious commercial where a kid had a gun, got his dad's gun, fired the gun accidentally, and then they had the bullet time thing of the bullet almost missing people. And then the end of the commercial was, 
guns kill people, people don't, you know, that kind of thing. It was like an anti-gun commercial. And Korn thought that was interesting for a music video. Hmm. Now, there is a sequel to Freak on the Leash, if you guys ever want to take a look at it. It's their second, it's their album after A Follow Leader. It's called Issues. And the song Fallen Away From Me starts right where uh, Issues, uh, uh, starts right where Freak on the Leash ends. That's my wife's favorite Korn song. Fallen Away From Me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fallen Away From Me is great. What's the, uh, I can't remember what year it came out, but I remember when I was younger, there was a Korn music video. It's a cartoon. It's animation. Where like this character is just enduring pain, like he oh, yeah. pulls his fingernails out. That is pulls from his teeth out. that's from their sixth album, "Take a Look in the Mirror," nineteen uh, two thousand three. And the song's called "Right Now." Okay, because I remember I remember that yeah. distinctly because I because I always cringe. I know it's cartoon, but I always cringe when he pulls up one of like a hangnail mm-hmm. and then the skin just goes all the way up his arm as he's pulling. I was it. always worried he took his lips and he cut his lips off. Oh, uh, that's child stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I guess before we end the show, I don't know if I really sold corn that well, but. Corn gave birth to like a lot of bands. But what I mean, was the genre like before it came out, and and how did they? How do you think they transformed it? So I know you said they gave birth to stuff, but like, what about their particular? Well, there sound? was. Well, here's the thing. Uh, people people have called Corn just Corn because nobody else can uh, nobody else can mimic it as well as they do. They call it a uh, playground metal because the way that Head and Monkey do those guitar riffs sound kind of like childlike. You know, like you know, like you know, like like some of the riffs. Inviting, it, it's almost it's an inviting tune, and then once you once they got you, yeah, you're in their snare of what the message they want to prove. Which is why their first two albums were about children being raped because that's what happened to Jonathan Davis. Hey, it's inviting. Hey, it's cool, and then all of a sudden punch you in the face. You know, I mean, like nobody can do that as well as Corn has so far in this. Um, there was nothing. You had you had you you had grunge. Because Korn's first album came out in 94. Hmm. So, I mean, there was nothing really like this at all. I mean, like when Blind came out, their first their first uh, single, Are You Ready? You know that song. Like grunge and hip-hop were the two, I would say, are, are the two genres in the early 90s that were mm-hmm. dominant. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Korn just... Korn's my favorite band. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I mean, th- th- they have not made a bad album. And people say that some albums are, are, are worse than the others, but I mean, like... They are experimenting, and that's good. You know what I mean? They made an album called uh, Path of Totality, which is dubstep mixed with their music. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, like, it's like, why would you do that? Because, you know, but Father Leader had everything it needed. It had a weird band name that was spelled weird. It had the a backwards R. The backwards R and the K. Yeah. It had a great artwork with a great fucking title to go with that artwork. It had a very guttural, dark, disturbing album to go with that presentation of that artwork. I mean, like, everything was this package to be, like, the way I interpreted the album at 11 years old when I got it was one of the songs was Children of the Corn, and this was, like, and I know the movie. Yeah. So I was like, the children are rising. (laughs) (laughs) Motherfuckers are going down. He who walks behind the rose is coming, motherfucker. Which is, you know? in part, that's that's interesting that he definitely inc- included that title because with what happened to him and, yeah. and the actual plot of Children of the Corn, it only makes sense. Mm-hmm. It, it's just great marketing, you know, rising up as a child to, to fight back against the adults that to that mistreat and abuse him. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it was just, int- I mean, not a single Corn album has done that. I mean, like, they've Corn's known for their great artwork albums, and they have... Every album is just amazing when it comes to their artwork, but that one album, it's it's I don't know, it's just that goddamn artwork. 
<laughs> I mean, like, when you pick up that album or you see that artwork, you know just by looking at it, oh, I'm in a world of shit. It's almost, it, it, it sort of, when I looked at, when I look at the cover, one of the first things it reminds me of is Pink Floyd. Oh, Pink Floyd's The Wall? Yeah. yeah. And it's only because seeing in the music video, having those kids walk in a straight line, you know, to the, to the establishment. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, so it feels the same way, knowing that you have this little girl who's, it's provocative in its, in its subtlety, you know, knowing that that cliff is their doom. Same, and I just immediately drew myself to Pink Floyd. No, it's, 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 it's just, yeah, I mean, like, everything about, to me, it, what makes an album great is not only the tracks that are on it and the production of the tracks, but it's everything that comes packaged with it. I mean, you buy a corn album, you look at the title, you know what you're getting yourself into. But, for all the fans out there, you also know what you're getting yourself into with the Be Real Network and Movie Guys Podcast. You can check us out at movieguyspodcast.com at movieguyspodcast.podbean.com. Now, our Podbean page is the main hub for all the other shows, such as this one, Podcast. Also, for uh, the other show, For Your Distraction, Hey, I Like That Game, and Underground Hot Pot, and, of course, Movie Guys Podcast as well. You can check us out on iTunes, search Movie Guys Podcast. You can find these other shows and also our last week's episode, which was one of mine and Ryan's favorites, which was our Celebrity Scandal episode. I think it was probably because Brandon wasn't here. It was one of our most downloaded episodes so far in Podcast. Oh, wow. Because it, it was just... It's it's gossip. Everybody loves gossip. And who doesn't love gossip? No, at the core of it all, it's because I wasn't involved. The fans hate me. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to listen to the latest Corn album and slip myself. Whee! No, no, just just drink your Killiams. Uh, why drink Bush? <laughs> oh, drink Bush, listen to Bush, eat mm. Bush. The three Bushes. <laughs> the three <Eat> Bushes. <laughs> President Bush? No, the, the lady genitalia. Oh, okay. Which, yeah. by the way, for all female listeners, more Bush. You know what? I love a good healthy Bush. No. Well, no? A bald as a China doll. Oh, I don't know, man. I like I like exploring. I like no. feeling like Indiana Jones. So no we were talking. So we were talking about music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, every everybody, everybody, thank you so much for downloading this episode. And we'll be back next week for another great, awesome episode of Podcast. Brother Brian, thank you so much for joining me. As always. Best friend Ryan, thank you so much. You're welcome. And we'll be back next week, guys. Take care. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>